Please join me in a word of prayer as I make my way down here to the improvised pulpit. Lord, on this Pentecost Sunday, we are mindful of how you made good on your promise that the helper would come, that you sent the Holy Spirit, and that he would be with us forever and dwell within us. Lord, I pray that you would open your word to help us each understand what his ministry is about, and that, Lord, we would long to partner with him and never resist his work. Lord, I ask you to help me as I preach, for I pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, well, Pentecost, the word, literally uh, implies 50, like the penta prefix. Pentecost is 50 days after the resurrection of our Lord Jesus. So this is the 50th day after uh, Easter. And um, it's 10 days after Jesus' ascension. So for 40 days after he rose, he ministered to people. He walked around. He he demonstrated his bodily resurrection for 40 days. And then he told the disciples, wait in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And the helper comes. And then he ascended 10 days later. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit fell in great power with manifestations of his presence. And Jesus repeated the promise that he would be with us a number of times in his ministry. He said things like this, I will not leave you as orphans. He said, I will be with you to the end of the age. And the way that he made good on those promises was at Pentecost when the Spirit came. Now, in our church, on our vision document, we talk about some core values. And one is what we call three-strand worship. In the Anglican church, we weave together three strands as a strong cord. And those would be the scriptures, I can alliterate them with S, the scriptures, the spirit, and the sacred or the sacramental. So uh, if you want to put church labels on it, you might call it evangelical, um, charismatic, and Catholic. Um, We are focused on those three things and find that there is an incredible biblical support for them and a beauty when the church has all three of those things in focus. So today I'm I'm specifically uh, paying attention to the Holy Spirit. And the question I asked as a call to worship was, when you invoke the Holy Spirit, when you ask the Holy Spirit to come and you pray, come Holy Spirit, what is it that you expect will happen? Are you expecting a, a tongue of fire to come upon your head? Are you expecting to be able to speak another language? Are you expecting to hear a rushing wind? What is it that you're expecting? I want to suggest that Pentecost, the Pentecost event, the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming, is actually about Jesus. It seems weird that we would be focused on Jesus on Pentecost and not on the Spirit, but that's actually what the Holy Spirit is all about. He's about focusing us on the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the Son of God. And it's good to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and do his ministry. In fact, in Luke chapter 11, verse 9, Jesus was speaking and he said, If you who are evil, speaking kind of generally of humanity, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So we should ask for the Holy Spirit. We should invite him. We should pray, come Holy Spirit. But what I want to caution us against are some, I'll say they're inadequate focal points of what to expect. And I'm going to borrow from Dr. J.I. Packer, the great Anglican uh, theologian, and, and point out three things that are inadequate. They're, they're true, but they're not adequate as a focal point for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he alliterates them with power, performance, and purity. All these things are true, and they are part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, 
but they should not be our focal point. So let me talk about power for a second. It's power to do what you cannot do. Sometimes people, when they are praying and invoking the Holy Spirit, are thinking, make me powerful. Give me the strength to do this. And that's fair to ask because, well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said, you will be clothed with power from on high, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Or in Philippians 4, 13, the Apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, it's worth noting, he didn't mean he can do literally all things, like jump off a building and expect to live. Even Jesus didn't fall into that temptation from Satan. What Paul is talking about there is he's saying, I've learned how to be content, whether I am well-fed or in lack. I've, been, I've learned how to be content in all things. And he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So power is a part of this, but it's not to be our, our central point. And what would happen is sometimes people think, if I call for the Holy Spirit, I'm, I have automatic power. Power can be a problem. It's like Simon the magician in Acts thought he could buy the gift of the Holy Spirit. So whenever he needed it, he could just call on his superpower and have things happen. And when we do experience the power of God, if we start to think we possess it in some way, it puffs up our ego. Look how powerful I am. Power is one of the big three that trip humans up, sex, money, and power. But there is a power to the Holy Spirit's ministry. But we have to be careful about not focusing just on that. Another thing is performance or the exercise of spiritual gifts, being able to serve the body um, and perform as part of the body of Christ. Romans 12, 4 through 6 talks about differing gifts being given to people according to the measure of God's grace. And the problem that comes along with this is as one gift starts to be exercised, it can be made, it can be thought that it's more important than a different gift. Also, as the body of Christ gets empowered uh, to do these, these, the use of these gifts, we can start to neglect specific offices. It can be entirely congregational, and there's no longer any use for the ordained ministry or those who are set aside for specific leadership tasks. And there can be an emphasis on new gifts given rather than the sanctification of natural gifts. There are people who were naturally gifted at sales, and then came to Christ and became incredible evangelists because the gift is a natural gift sanctified and now it's used for the kingdom. It's true that at times the Holy Spirit gives someone a gift they never had before when they come to Christ. That does happen. But that's not always what happens. What's more normal is for natural gifts to be sanctified and then used in the body of Christ. So these are problems with this. Another problem with the performance piece is that there can be an emotionalism as part of it. And the church in Corinth was probably the worst in the New Testament. The Corinthians loved the more dramatic gifts. They loved displays of gifts. They, however, were neglecting love and ethics, the, the, the moral implications of the Holy Spirit's presence. They were not putting to death what was old and sinful and fleshly so they can walk by the Spirit. They were all about the demonstration of the manifestation of the Spirit. And so Paul has to rebuke them several times. So it's not about power, it's not about performance, and it's, and it's not actually about purity either. And by purity, I'm talking about purity in character. So in Galatians, the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 5 that we, we in the flesh, and when the scripture talks about the flesh, it's talking about the, the old sinful humanity. We can walk by the flesh or we can walk by the spirit, and the two are opposed. 
And when we are walking by the flesh, there's a whole list of bad things that we do. But when we're walking by the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, which actually I'm looking at our baptismal font, which the tripod is set on, it, in Greek is etched around the outside, the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5 in Greek. It's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That would be the purity and character that happens when the Holy Spirit is working in our lives and we are cooperating with him. But again, that shouldn't be the primary focus. What can happen when it becomes the primary focus is a kind of legalism, a new kind of Pharisee attitude where I've got to get it right. I'm, I'm trying to be perfect. I can become joyless in that. I can be even a bit neurotic in my self-focus. Think of the dieter who's always focused on food, right? The diet causes something to happen that's not good. The person is 100% focused on food because they're trying not to eat food. It's like if I'm trying to be pure in character, I can lose the joy of Christ. I can lose the focus on Christ, which is where I'm going to go. So what is the essence of Pentecost? Well, it's not the external manifestations of the Pentecost day. It's not this, this account here, and we're going to look at what Peter says about it after the event happens, is not about the tongues of fire. It's not about the sound of the rushing wind. It's not about them proclaiming in languages they didn't know before this morning. It's actually about Christ. What happened at Pentecost is the Holy Spirit took up permanent residency in the hearts of believers and applied the new covenant to their lives. The Holy Spirit's present throughout the whole scriptures. I mean, he was there hovering over the water when creation was made in Genesis chapter 1. From Genesis to Revelation, the Holy Spirit's been present. But what changed is now because of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, and the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has come to dwell in the hearts of believers. So there's confusion around the ministry of the Holy Spirit because people don't have certain gifts. They don't have maybe the power. They don't have the performance. They don't have the purity they want yet. And they think, maybe I'm not really spirit-filled. Maybe I'm not really a Christian. Get this. In Peter's sermon in verse 38, I'm, I'm going further from what we stopped reading at verse 21, I think it was. But if you keep going, Peter gives an incredible sermon, which is Christ-centered, by the way. In verse 38, it says this. Uh, the people hear him and they're cut to the heart. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Did you know what caused that? Repentance and belief in Christ. And you're forgiven and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not you prayed in tongues, you gave words of prophecy, you had fire above your head, you had any kind of those manifestations, which by the way, can still happen and occasionally do. It was belief in Jesus Christ and repentance and you receive forgiveness and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And let me show you something else that the Apostle Paul says uh, in, in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, it's verses uh, 13 and 14. He talks about when you believe, you are given the Holy Spirit as the Greek word is arabone, and it means down payment. Like if you're buying a house, you put earnest money on the house so that if you were to walk away from that deal, you lose that money. It's a guarantee. And it says this. This is uh, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, meaning in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, the arabone, the earnest money, the sure deposit, 
the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You cannot say Jesus is Lord apart from the Holy Spirit in your life. All believers have the Holy Spirit. Now, I, wanna, I talked about three things we don't want to focus on when it comes to the Holy Spirit's ministry in Pentecost. We don't want to focus on power, although there is power. We don't want to focus on performance and spiritual gifts, although that's a part of it, or purity and character, although also a part of it. I'm going to give you three other things from Peter's sermon that I think we should focus on. These are the normal, normal things that we can expect every time we invoke the Holy Spirit. These are the things that he does constantly. So verse 22, and I'm back, going back to Acts now. I'm in Acts chapter 2, verse 22. So this is right after he quotes the prophet Joel, saying what you're seeing is a fulfillment of what Joel said in the last days. In other words, the last days have come upon us, the age of the church. We are waiting for Christ's return. It's been 2,000 years and counting. He says, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Notice where he goes. The event is powerful, right? There's wind, there's tongues of fire, there's these empowered apostles coming out into a, a holy city full of pilgrims from all of those places that Luke read, all those different places, and they start speaking in those languages. They are telling the good news of, of, of the gospel, and they start, some of them say, well, they're, they're drunk, they're, that's why they're acting like this. And Peter says, no, they're not. No, we're not. We're actually the fulfillment here of Joel and you'd think he would start talking about the Holy Spirit. Let me tell you what it was like in the room. It was incredible. It was like a freight train coming through. The wind was howling. I knew God's power was there. And then there was fire. It was awesome. And I've never spoken these other languages. He doesn't do any of that. You know where he goes? To Jesus. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is about, actually not about himself, it's about Jesus. The Holy Spirit helps us have a clear understanding of Jesus' role in God's plan. In other words, he is Christ-centered. The Holy Spirit does not care about getting attention. He wants us to have our attention on Jesus. And what happens is we hear those words about how Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan, the foreknowledge of God. He was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death. As we hear about the ministry of Jesus and how God forgives sins through the cross and how he makes a way for us to be reconciled to him, the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart saying, this is true. And you say, I believe this. This makes sense to me. I understand it. I'm a sinner and Christ loves me. He died for my sins and the cross took them away. I'm forgiven. It's about Christ and a Christ-centered theology. Jesus said, when the Spirit comes, he'll lead you into all truth. Not everything that is true, but what is essential and central to the ministry that Jesus brought. And so it's about a Christ-centered understanding of Jesus' role in God's plan, his eternal plan. So he brings enlightenment. He shines his light on Christ for us. The second thing, I'm jumping down to verse 34, is a robust sense of identity as adopted children chosen by God. In Christ, we become God's children, not merely his creatures, 
but his children. And verse 34 says this. Uh, I'll start back at, at verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. He has poured this out. Oh, sorry, that's 34. I'm looking for verse 39. Jump down to 39. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So they're cut to the heart and they say, what do we do? And he says, repent and believe. You'll get the gift of the Holy Spirit. You'll get the forgiveness of sins. And this this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off that God is calling to himself. What the Holy Spirit does is he changes our understanding of our identity. As we believe in Christ, he affirms with our own spirit that we are sons and daughters, that we belong to God, that we are co-heirs with Christ. Hear these words from, again, from Paul. This is in Romans 8 now. This is chapter 8, which is all about life in the spirit. He says this, Paul writes this. uh, This is verse 14 and following. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Abba, to this day, Jews that speak uh, Hebrew call their dad, daddy. They say Abba, little children, Abba. Abba. It's like a baby's way of being able to articulate father, Abba. Abba is meant to be an intimate word. It's, it's literally like calling dad, your daddy to, to your God. Daddy. It's not God way out there. It's God here, present. I belong to him. He's my heavenly father. I am a child of God, a co-heir with Christ. I do belong. The Holy Spirit ministers that to us. It's about identity. It's about knowing where our true home is. And then a third thing, there's boldness to witness. Look at verse, uh, I'm going to jump to verse, um, let me go back to Acts again. Acts chapter 2, verse 32. This is all part of what happened in the preaching of Peter. He says, this Jesus God raised up, and of all that, we all are witnesses. We are witnesses. We, We are giving a witness to what Jesus has done, for the world. And the Holy Spirit empowers us to do witnessing. Um, if you go to uh, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, something happens. And I think Luke, who wrote Acts, intends us to see this. In his gospel, he's shown us how, uh, how far off track Peter and the others were, how ignorant and incompetent and just full of sin and, and bumbling along. And, and then this happens The Pentecost event happens. The Holy Spirit is now in Peter's life and the others. He gives a rousing sermon. 3,000 people are added to their number. Remember, they were hiding in an upper room for fear. All of a sudden, they're out giving bold witness. And in chapter 4, verse 13, they they, um, are speaking before the council. They've been called before the Jerusalem council, all the religious leaders, the smartest minds of the day, the Pharisees, all those people. And, it's, and they say, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become, he has become the cornerstone and there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Verse 13, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived 
They were uneducated common men. They were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. The Holy Spirit caused that boldness to give witness. Elsewhere in Acts, they pray for God to not protect them from the persecution, but to give them boldness to witness. And what happens is he actually shakes the ground where they're physically standing. This is incredible. It's about going out and representing Christ in the world. It's a boldness to witness. It's identity as being children of God. And it's having a clear understanding of the ministry of Jesus, the centrality of the cross and what that means. So going forward, what do we do with this? Well, I want you to study the Spirit in the New Testament. I want you to read through the New Testament and see what it says about the Holy Spirit. Don't make the mistake of assuming just because something is described, it's being prescribed. So some things happen in Acts that are out of order because there are people that become believers before the Pentecost event. So some are baptized but don't have the Holy Spirit yet. That's not normal. What is normal is what Paul said in Ephesians 1 that when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. That's because he's talking about after Pentecost. But in Acts, there are some people that were following that had, in the Pentecost event, hadn't happened yet. So things are out of order. So recognize what is descriptive versus what is prescriptive. And don't assume that when you become a Christian, all of a sudden you'll start praying in tongues. You might, you might not. It's a gift from God. But just because it happened in Acts in a couple of times does not mean that is normative. Get that. Study what the Holy Spirit's ministry looks like, and what you'll find is that he is incredibly Christ-centered. And by the way, he is a he, not an it. He is the third person of the Godhead. And invite him into your life, that Christ would be the center. So when you say, come Holy Spirit, and you are inviting him to come, it's actually about Christ. Not so much about what the Holy Spirit's ministry looks like, it's about what he points to. That your life would be more centered on Christ. And may that be so for us. And then all that other stuff, power, performance, purity, those things are helpful. We want those to help happen as well. And they actually can empower our witness too. But it's got to be about Christ. I know for sure when the Holy Spirit is working, Christ is elevated in my life. And my identity in him is secured and assured. He reminds me of what is eternally true. So thanks be to God for his Holy Spirit. Be thankful for the Holy Spirit and certainly don't resist him. Let's pray. Lord, I'm grateful for your presence. I thank you again for the promise that you would never leave us alone and you always do what you promise. Holy Spirit, help us to be Christ-centered people, to affirm that Jesus is Lord. Help us to know that we belong that we are your sons and daughters. And Lord, for anyone hearing me this morning who doesn't know you, who has not repented and asked you to come into their life, I pray that you would give the gift of faith. Holy Spirit, raise Christ up in their hearts that they too would believe with us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We're gonna respond.